0: uh
1: You will learn that name, you will remember it.
0: And now... The stud is here. All right, everybody, here we go. Welcome in. It's David Summers hosting another studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. Now we step back into the ring and back into time, into the great Smoky Mountains where there ain't no house like the Tennessee stud. Ron Fuller. What's up, my man, Ron?
1: Oh, Jason, man. Uh, proud to be here. Glad to be here. Uh, nice day. Uh, everything's pretty cool, man, as a matter of fact. Uh, summertime uh, and uh, traffic, man, in this part of the country is really picking up. Uh, I'm only about 20 miles from the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. hmm <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, and i can tell it
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's only the most visited national park i think maybe probably in the world maybe well, i won't say in the world we know in the u.s and so uh, no doubt folks are starting to come in hey, and hey ron listen i hear the bears are waking up too so you've been seeing bears a little all along but you guys woke up the other morning and you had evidence of a bear nearby
1: oh yeah man uh, uh, <laughs> very clear evidence uh Two big old bear paw prints i guess he had been it'd been raining and his feet were muddy and <laughs> he jumped up on the side of the car looked in the window man i guess he's <laughs> looking for food i guess that's what they do man And uh, and then the next day uh saw him cross on the road uh, just uh maybe 100 yards up the hill from from where we're where we're at so geez uh and in a couple of days prior to that, uh, a big one out on the main road coming in here uh, that uh, actually stood up in front of a car that was in front of us. Wow. Wow. He looked like he was 12 <laughs> feet tall, man. I mean, he was a monster. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, you got a little bit of everything goes on up here. <laughs> that's for sure.
0: Hey, it, it probably takes you back in time, too, because your grandfather started off wrestling a bear are we talking about this uh, was it, that a black bear back in the day when that, that happened? sure was
1: my granddad had a black bear her <laughs> name was
0: ginger yeah
1: uh, and uh, <laughs> speaking of that day the other day somebody sent me something on social media about uh, a match in Kingsport Tennessee uh, with ginger in the 50s 1950s wow, wow. Uh, Lester Welch and uh, Herb was on that card Lester was on that card and there was a masked guy that was wrestling the bear, and I got a feeling that's probably my granddad Roy. <laughs> so,
2: so,
0: <laughs>
1: so the the witches where where they were a whole card, <laughs> them and their bear.
0: That's so, awesome. So, <laughs> that's awesome. you uh,
1: come from a crazy family. There's no doubt about that.
0: <laughs> oh, maybe maybe slightly, but I wouldn't say that. Except I'm 400 miles away. Maybe. All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, stud. A great stud cast we had last week. We've heard from fans all over the world about it. Having two territories to talk about every week is like having twice as much fun, Stud. It opens the door to so much more. This week's Studcast title is a perfect example of so much more. Southeastern Knoxville was getting Garvin versus two men, and Southeastern Gulf Coast was experiencing a catastrophe. What is that all about?
1: Well, geez, man, uh, you know, uh, obviously this is going to be another one of those loaded ones, man. And uh, before we get uh, fully saddled up here, Dave, uh, I'd like to thank uh, Charlie Platt, who was on there with us uh, last week. Uh, he's a South, He was the Southeastern Gulf Coast head TV commentator for so many years. And uh, he joined us live last week. And uh, thanks, Charlie, for all your input last week. And it was great having you on. And uh, talking about this week's episode, uh, yeah, uh, Garvin was uh, basically uh, going in the ring, uh, trying to get his hands on the Southeastern title. But uh, according to uh, Mongolian Stomper's new manager, Don Carson, he had to beat both of them. He had to win against two guys. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be Ronnie Garvin. We'll talk about (laughs) doing probably pretty much almost the impossible to become the Southeastern champion. He's going to wrestle two men by himself. And uh, we're going to find out whether he wins or loses in this deal. And then 500 miles to the south, a wild personality profile. It was done on last week's Southeastern Gulf Coast TV show, the one that actually Charlie Platt talked about last week live on the show. Uh, that show had been bicycled uh, now out of uh, Dothan and into Mobile, Alabama, WKRG-TV. And I was going to receive a phone call from the general manager of the station, About two days after that show aired. And I can only call the results, uh, as I said in the title, a catastrophe. And uh, it was the worst call I ever got from a TV station's general manager.
0: Okay, so it sounds like this one is going to test you again, Ron, in more ways than one. So before we ride into Studcast number 252, lots of fans are finding and enjoying your streaming channel, Classic Continental Wrestling. Tell us what's new, what's going on there.
1: Well, man, I'm really proud of this one, man. The one that's on there is coming up this week. It's actually going to be on there uh, on Thursday. Uh, So uh, there's a new two-hour plus, the stars of the sport interview. It's with the legendary Bob Armstrong. And, uh, And he and I recorded this four years ago before his passing, obviously. And, know, uh, wow! It's just a wonderful conversation about his entire life, man. It covers just about everything that he accomplished. Starts with his childhood and his first match he ever saw with Gorgeous George Jr. Uh, today's as his days as a Marine, his fireman days, and then his legendary wrestling career, man. From being a rookie of NWA rookie of the year mm-hmm. to becoming the iconic Bullet, man. Uh, yeah. It is. It wow. has always been, and, and this always will be a piece of American professional wrestling history, man. And, and now it's been made, though, even better. Uh, it's been greatly enhanced. Uh, there's an additional uh, into this uh, program that's been out there for, for a few years. There's an additional now 60 photos of Bob Armstrong in this as well. Wow. So fans not only get to hear it, they get to see a lot of. Different pictures of Bob Armstrong, young man to older. Uh, <laughs> really, really a tremendous, this is going to be a tremendous piece uh, that's going on to the streaming channel now.
0: Yeah, I tell you what, brother, that's going to stir up a lot of emotion, a lot of memories. I, I can't wait to see this. What what day will will it be available on the streaming channel, ClassicContinentalWrestling.com, and how many more of these type of shows are going to be uh, coming to the streaming channel?
1: Well, the Bob Armstrong Stars of the Sports Special is going to go up on Thursday, June 2nd, 2022. And Dave, there's going to be at least 30 more of these specials, man. All of them now are going to be enhanced by photos, which they never were uh, to begin with. And, uh, and it's going to be, they're all honoring the stars. of the, Some of them are present stars. Some of them are past stars. Uh, these things are going to be phenomenal. I think fans are going to really love them this Bob Armstrong one, uh, just like the Andre one, the, mm. the uh, Mankind one with Mick Foley, the Ron Wright, uh, this is the fourth in that series. And, uh, wow, well, I highly recommend it. I think fans are going to really enjoy it.
0: That's awesome, Ron. Fans from I know fans from all over the world are subscribing now to what is going to be the best old-school wrestling streaming channel anywhere on the planet. So both of the great Brutus prologues going to be on the channel as well by friday june 3rd and the first chapter will be there the following friday june 10th every friday after that you're going to be reading another chapter until the entire book is online it's going to be there so the channel is really going to be huge
1: well you know uh, it's, it, it is big i agree with that man it's growing all the time
0: that's awesome all right so to become a member ...of this fantastic streaming channel. It's like being in the middle of old school wrestling. Simply go to ClassicContinentalWrestling.com ClassicContinentalWrestling.com Only $4.99 per month or $39.99 for an entire year. Don't miss the one week free trial offer. It's for a limited time only. The original Southeastern TV shows from 1980 to 1985 will start there soon. All right. That's a lot stud. So I don't know how you keep up with it all and a stud cast like this. So where do we start today? Where do we, where do we ride off to?
1: Well, there's so, so much going on, man. Back in May of 1978 with Southeastern wrestling. And I'm excited to say fans around the world have made Dave, the stud cast, one of the most popular wrestling podcasts in the world. And on this one, uh, we're going to cover the week of May the 20th through the 27th of 1978. Uh, Southeastern Knoxville, the Northern Territory, had a great card on that Friday, May 26, 1978. We're going to discuss that card. We'll talk about the TV that promoted that card, the results of the Coliseum card, the attendance. And we're going to also talk briefly about the Northern Territory and how the company was getting involved in the community back in 1978. Uh, so we'll be talking about quite a bit in the north, and then we're going to ride south, man, into the old Gulf Coast territory. And today, uh, I'm going to change things up a little bit. I'm going to focus on other cities, like the card in Pensacola, Florida, on Sunday night, May the 21st, 78. The Monday card in Montgomery on May the 22nd. The Mobile card of Tuesday, May the 23rd. The Panama City card the Thursday, the 24th, and even the New Brockton. A little bit about New Brockton on the Saturday night in that week, and uh, you know I'll give everybody the attendance not only for each one of those towns but for the entire territory, and then uh, and quite a bit of this studcast, man, especially toward the end, is going to be focused on what I call the catastrophe, and uh, that came as a result of that last TV show done in Dothan, Alabama, a week ago mm-hmm. uh, on the last studcast and it, it appeared we might be going to lose our best tv station and if that happened uh maybe the entire territory so uh this is going to be uh one of the best stories in the history of wrestling of harassing uh, and certainly southeastern wrestling and uh this is one today Dave, that uh, oddly enough i have never told this story before hmm. uh, so uh so get then given the time uh, we're going to answer the learning tree question from last <laughs> week's show that we didn't get to because we were so loaded with stuff, and uh, yeah, and then this one, a gentleman asked, uh, "After you were arrested, after I was arrested in Mobile, Alabama riot, what, what was, what was I charged with, and <laughs> was I convicted?" Hmm. So, hmm. so we're, we're going to follow up <laughs> on that riot.
0: Did you did you do time? Did you do hard time?
2: <laughs> All right, uh, we're
0: gonna find out, I guess, Dave. All right, it's another loaded stud cast but this one has an incident in it that could possibly end everything in the Southeastern Gulf coast. That's crazy. I really hope we get, get to that learning tree question this time too, stud. So I assume we're going to be beginning in Knoxville to start with the Knoxville territory.
1: That's correct. My man, uh, we're going to start there and we're going to start with the card of uh, Friday night, May the 26th, 1978, uh, We were going back into the Coliseum for the first time ever in a southeastern Knoxville summer. We had always moved out of the Coliseum about the end of May and uh, didn't come back to the Coliseum until September or October. Uh, But we're going back again, and we're going to be there for six more weeks in a row. So uh, so I want to remind everyone that... uh, Uh, I'm no longer in Knoxville as we talk about these studcasts now because, uh, and I will be back there later in the summer, but it's because I wasn't there. I was in Pensacola during this time frame. I didn't know a whole lot about what was going on in Knoxville. My brother Rob was doing the booking. So, you know, I spent a lot of time in in the summer of 1978 in Pensacola. And I was there, man, basically to get the company started and to get it off the ground. So I do have the actual Knoxville card for Friday night, May the 26th, 1978. That's where we're going to start today. And I'll give you the results from the Knoxville paper. That's where I get some of these results for these cards, which I wasn't there. So my brother, Rob, the booker at the time, had Tony Charles opening that card up against the returning undercard talent who had been there some in the summer before, a guy named George McCreary. And George had a tremendous amateur wrestling background, and he could have always been expected when you sent him to the ring to deliver a lot of wrestling. Every time he got in that ring, and since he's going to be in the ring with Tony Charles, I imagine these two had a phenomenal wrestling match. Uh, It was the perfect opening match, man, for any card anywhere in the country. Uh, Then on the second match of that card, a newcomer named Steve Brody went up against Don Carson. Uh, Ricky Gibson, who had recently spent some time down in southeastern Gulf Coast with his younger brother Robert. In fact, they'd won the Gulf Coast Tag Belts, the initial winners of the Gulf Coast Tag Belts. And then they lost them on TV down there last week on that TV show. And uh, Ricky was returning to Knoxville. And, And he was starting a short program there with the heel that was fast taking Southeastern Knoxville by storm and the great Malenko. He was really getting people's attention. Uh, There was a Southeastern tag championship on this card with the new champions, the guys that had held them for the last three weeks, Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden, and they were defending against the former champions, Dennis Condry, and a guy that was returning from injury, his partner, Phil Higgerson. And obviously they were presented by Ron Wright. Then the main event was the most unusual one. Don Carson had become the Mongolian Stomper. After Ronnie Garvin sent poor Gorgeous George Jr., I guess, uh, I don't know many people that would say poor Gorgeous George. He got himself hurt by Garvin who hurt him two weeks in a row and uh, Gorgeous George was gone. Carson stepped in and took over the range of handling the Stomper. And Carson had demanded, Garvin had already had one Southeastern title match, but he had demanded that uh, If uh, Ronnie wanted another one, he had to agree to wrestle both him and the Stomper in a handicap match. That's two of them against Garvin by himself. (laughs) And uh, and there's going to be a no disqualification clause that's added to that contract.
0: All right. So it really sounds like an extremely different kind of championship match for a singles title. Garvin had to be desperate to get his hands on the belt to take that kind of deal. So tell us what you knew about the Southeastern Knoxville TV show of Saturday, May 20th of 78 that set that card up.
1: Well, not as much as I'd like, obviously. Mostly what I I have uh, comes from formats that I had, thank goodness, all the TV formats from Southeastern. And uh, I I have the format from this program that was used for that TV and, uh, And then I got a little more information from talking with my brother, Rob, uh, usually on Sundays after the week was over. And uh, he was, as I said, he was the booker there during that time. So I do know it was the last show during the rating book month of May, and it would have two Southeastern Championship matches on the show. Uh, The TV format had Don Carson and the Mongolian Stomper opening the show up with less at the set with a video from the main event the night before which was in chill park uh, it had been the first show in chill park in 1978 i believe especially outside in the outside arena uh, and wow when they showed it back uh, you know uh, rob told me man it was an extremely wild title match uh, ronnie garvin actually won the match but uh, only after Carson got himself intentionally involved and then got his got his stomper intentionally DQ in uh. order to keep the belt. Imagine that. Uh-uh. You know? So, so then then there now Don Carson sits there after uh, getting his, his stomper disqualified and people watching it, and then he says, you know, I, I want to create. I want this handicap match. If, if Garvin's going to get another shot at my stomper, he's going to have to beat me and the stomper. You know, and uh, so and they covered pretty much pretty much everything involved in this match except there's no disqualification Clause that's going to be added to it later. So uh, in the first match, the Mongolian the stomper went in the ring and he defended the Southeastern Championship against an opponent who I don't have the name of because there was no name on the format. Lots of times when we put people that weren't named guys, we didn't put their names on the format. Uh, The great Malenko wrestled an unnamed opponent uh, in the second match on the format. Uh, Ronnie Garvin, uh, who told me, uh, who Rob told me was really on fire in the territory, was on the personality profile less. And uh, Rob said they watched some of the same video that Carson and Stomper had watched in the show's opening. And Garvin focused on the fact, uh, the particular fact of how Carson got. His stomper disqualified and and, uh, kept the title. And so uh, Ronnie demanded that they're going to, if they're going to have a handicap match, he would accept the match, but it had to be a no DQ. He didn't want it to be the same ending as it had been the week before. And he said, that's going to happen before I take this match. We're going to sign a contract right here during the profile, Les. So uh, Les made Don Carson come to the set with him. And uh, they both signed off on this most unusual title match, maybe one of the most unusual in Southeastern history, maybe one one of the most unusual in wrestling history, as a matter (laughs) of fact. So uh, Ronnie Garvin left the set and he went to the ring, and he was in the third TV match. Don't know who he wrestled either. But the show closed with Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden. They were defending their Southeastern belts on the TV uh, against two mask opponents called The Avengers, and they were presented by, guess who? Ron Wright.
2: So he's got his
1: second team now. <laughs> he's bringing go. in the second team to try to take the title on TV. So and while this match is going on, Ron Wright subtly brings out his Condry and Rose team, and they stand in the studio watching what's going on during the course of the match. That's pretty distracting when you're in the ring defending against one team, and you've got another <laughs> one standing out there uh watchings uh-huh. supposedly watching so and that's exactly what happened they weren't there just to watch just about the time that they beat the the avengers ron wright's a new little team uh, here came condry and rose and they grabbed jimmy and threw him over the top rope and uh and then the both of them grabbed rob and they held him and ron wright crawled in the ring he pulled his chisel out of his pocket <laughs> put it on his hand and uh Rob got a taste of it, man. And it was, uh, according to uh, not only Rob, but Jimmy and a couple of other guys I've talked, it was a pretty bloody affair for Rob. <laughs> uh,
0: I almost automatically went into the Ron Wright I- impression because I'm so used to hearing you do it. <laughs> uh, almost automatically, somebody's going to taste my chisel. <laughs> All right, <laughs> They did. and my, my poor brother got it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right, so two title matches, Stomper, Malenko, and Ron Wright using his chisel. Sounds like another great rating period TV run. So it had to be. So what happened the following Friday night in the Knoxville Coliseum?
1: But Tony Charles beat George McCrary. And Rob said, as I, as I thought it would be, it, it was an absolutely fantastic wrestling match. and Obviously, it didn't surprise me. And Don Carson won over Steve Brody. Ricky Gibson and the great Malenko went to a 30-minute time limit draw. First time anybody had not lost to Malenko. And as soon as the time ran out, Malenko challenged Ricky to a no-DQ match the following week. Uh, You know, I I think he got very upset, and he wanted to. Obviously, if he wants a no-DQ match, he he wants to take it way, way beyond uh, where this one went. And uh, Gibson accepted the challenge. So uh, Rob said that was one match that was set up already for the following week. Dennis Condry and Phil Hickerson, they regained their Southeastern tag belts. They won uh, with Ron Wright, with the help of Ron Wright in their corner. uh, They managed to come away with their Southeastern tag belts again. Uh, Ronnie Garvin won the Southeastern crown from the Mongolian Stomper in that handicap match, two versus one. And he beat, the guy he beat to win it was not the Stomper, but Don Carson. And he beat poor Don Carson by jumping off the top rope in his throat. No. <laughs> so I don't think Don's going to want to do any more handicap matches probably yeah. after that one. Uh, and I'm sure uh, that was Garvin's plan from the beginning. He didn't have to worry about beating the Stomper. He had Don Carson in there that was going to lose the Stomper's belt for him.
0: Yeah, he kind of painted him into a corner. All right, so what was the attendance after going back to the Coliseum? Had to be a good night.
1: Well, about 5,300 was that this one. Uh, and it was a great crowd considering there were two top baby faces that weren't there and that had been really spent, uh, well, one of them spent four years there and another had been there for two years or more. Uh, Bob Armstrong and myself were nowhere to be found in southeastern Knoxville. Uh, and they were still doing over 5,000 lines. So pretty amazing.
0: All right. So I'm curious about the... Giving back to the community involvement program that you and Les Thatcher have been working on—did you did you have your first event on that?
1: Uh, yeah, we did, man. Uh, you know, and they, and what it was is a softball game at the downtown stadium of the local professional baseball team called the Smokies, which makes sense. Uh, we played on Sunday afternoon, May the twenty first, nineteen seventy eight. I say we—I didn't actually play on this one. But the wrestlers, uh, the, uh, the wrestlers played on us uh, May the 21st on that Sunday, the day following the TV show that we, we just talked about. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Southeastern Wrestling, babyfaces all played. Uh, the referees that worked for us played. And there's some of the associates that worked with the company behind the scenes. They played along as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, they played against the WBIR TV station employees which is the station that we did our TV program on. So they had challenged us. And uh, so this first game and all these games that we're going to do are going to benefit somebody. And the first one is going to benefit the Muscular Dystrophy Association. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, we contribute all the receipts from the sale of this game tickets to the game, uh, to the muscular dystrophy association.
0: That's so cool. And I know, you know, this Ron, but the, I, they really don't do events like that anymore. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. When you had the the anchors of the TV station and the guys from the baseball team and, and the wrestlers coming together for uh MDA, that kind of deal. You just don't, you don't hear about, about to, up to that detail anymore, but that's, that's a cool event that you guys were involved with. How, do, how did the, uh, how, how, how'd you do on the fans? How, how many did you draw?
1: Well, man, we, we had more than 2000, man, very happy and excited fans. Uh, it was, it was, it was a uh, far more than the local professional baseball team had mm. for uh, average of their Whoa. games.
2: Right. <laughs> right.
1: So, uh, you know, uh, the, I'm sure they were a little bit embarrassed to buy it, but, uh, we ended up giving thousands to charity that day. And, uh, mm-hmm. we also won the game. So, uh, so this wasn't the last game of the summer by far. After the success of this game, we started getting challenges from everywhere. I mean, all wow. types of different organizations around the area. Right. Uh, Southeastern was extremely unpopular. Wrestling was popular. And, uh, and these benefits like this become a big deal in that part of the country.
0: Did you mention earlier, did you play in the game?
1: Uh, no, I wasn't in this first one, Dave. Uh, I am going to be coming back to Knoxville in late July. Uh, it's going to be one of the only times I'm going to wrestle there in the summer, that summer of 78. And uh, I'm going to wrestle there on Friday night that week, and I'm going to play ball the following Sunday afternoon. I'm going to stay over.
0: <laughs> there's, a, there's a weekend. All right, so this seems like a good place for a break. Let's do that. Sometime in the second half of this studcast. we're going to be talking about that catastrophe that you referred to earlier taking place in southeastern Gulf Coast due to the David Schultz and Charlie Cook personality profile kind of notoriously from last week's tv that is coming up on the second half of this studcast and while we're taking a break check out classiccontinentalwrestling.com you are not going to believe it everything is there classiccontinentalwrestling.com all right we'll be right back on this studcast The reading of Brutus by the man who created him has begun. Find it now on the hottest streaming channel out there, classiccontinentalwrestling.com. A fascinating and thrilling story of a man-eating lion. Tragically shipped to an American zoo is only the beginning. How he is fed and escapes into the most visited park in America, the Great Smoky Mountain National Park, is the chilling part. This is great fiction. That could possibly become fact. Get Ron Fuller Welch's novel at tnstud.com. Click Stud Store. Only nineteen ninety nine or twenty nine ninety nine, personally autographed to you. Free shipping. Hear a new part of it each Friday on ClassicContinentalWrestling.com along with all the wrestling content for only four ninety nine monthly or thirty nine ninety nine annually. Subscribe today. Classic Continental Wrestling. .com. All right, everybody. Welcome back in another stud cast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's David Summers. Proud to be the co-host. All right, Ron, let's get back into it. Where do we ride to next?
1: We're going to change things up a little bit, Dave. Uh, we're going to focus on all the individual cities having matches down there in the Southeastern Gulf Coast territory. Uh, and except uh we're going to kind of leave Dothan out a little bit this time. We're going to discuss these other cities' cards and uh their attendance individually and combined uh, at the end of it, and then we're going to finish today with uh, man a great story about the what I think is the importance of never giving up on your dream, man. Without trying your best to save it, that's for darn sure.
0: <laughs> All right, so what city does our tour of southeastern Gulf Coast begin in?
1: Well, let's start on Sunday, man. Uh, you know, kind uh, of—I don't know—some people may consider it the end of the week. Uh, I kind of think about it as being the first of the week. Uh, But on Sunday, May 21st, uh, same day we're playing softball in the afternoon in Knoxville, Tennessee, we were wrestling that same night 500 miles south in the Pensacola Municipal Auditorium. It sits right on beautiful Pensacola Bay. And uh, Pensacola always had a different card uh, than the Tuesday night card in Mobile, uh, which was only 50 miles away because both of those cities were – you know, got their uh, southeastern Gulf Coast TV show from the same TV station, WKRG TV, in Mobile. So the Pensacola card was exactly the same as the Panama City, Florida card, which was on Thursday night of that week, because Panama City was covered by a different TV. They got their TV off of dump. So uh, here's what that Saturday and Thursday night card was: Hetty uh, Mansfield versus Mike Stallings. Bear in mind these are smaller cities. And uh, don't get quite as big a card. So Eddie Mansfield uh, versus Mike Stallings. Rip Tyler versus David Schultz. But then this one had a Gulf Coast Tag Championship match. The Champion Assassins, managed by Billy Spears. Went up against totally different opponents than the usual for them. They went up against Bob Armstrong and Robert Gibson. And then I defended the Gulf Coast Championship match against Charlie Cook. So... Uh, it was a uh, Pensacola's uh, fifth event and the crowds had grown from about 1,200 on its third event to 1,700 on this one. So, and, uh, and it was going to be Panama City's third event and well then its attendance had grown from 500 for its first event was now at about 1,100. So, uh, wow, things are picking up. Business is really picking up. Uh, that area that had once been a great wrestling area Is still there, man. They just need to be, uh, they need to have the right thing, the right element, and they're getting at this point, obviously. So Montgomery ran on the Monday night, May the 22nd, and it had the same card as Dothan had two weeks earlier. So that card was the wrestling pro versus Eddie Sullivan, Mike Stallings versus Eddie Mansfield, which they had a 30-minute time limit, Uh, a Texas death match with David Schultz against Charlie Cook, A $10,000 challenge six-man elimination tag match with Ricky and Robert Gibson and Rick Tyler versus the Assassins and Billy Spears. Gulf Coast Championship match, Ron Fuller versus Bob Armstrong. This one was the third Montgomery event. The attendance grew from 800 on the first week to 1,200 by the third week. So, wow, you're up about 50% uh, in about a two-week period of time. <laughs> so let's talk about Mobile. Uh, it was getting its second event with the same Dothan card, except this is the Dothan card from the week before. But the problem was it was also getting that controversial TV, man. So here's that card, uh, Mike Stallings versus Eddie Sullivan, Eddie Mansfield versus Craig Peterson. There was an Indian strap, Lumberjack rules match, David Schultz versus Charlie Cook. Uh, Gulf Coast tag title match, the Gibson Brothers versus the Assassins, managed by Billy Spears. Uh, Rip Tyler was going to take the place of the injured Ricky Gibson, who had been injured on this TV that had shown in this market. Uh, That's the one where the Gibson Brothers uh, decided they'd defend their belts right on television against the Assassins, and Mm -hmm. Ricky ended up getting hurt. Mm -hmm. So uh, then the final uh, match on that card was a Gulf Coast championship match with me against Bob Armstrong. So this was Mobile's second event. The attendance grew from the first night of 1,700 to 2,300 on this one. Big jump in the crowd, man. Uh, So on Friday night, May the 26th, 1978, Dothan was having its 12th event. Uh, We had started there first week in March. We're almost to the summer, the hottest time of the year. They've had 12 events. We reached another new record. On that Friday night, uh, we're not going to cover Dothan in detail like normally, but on the event that night, we hit a new record of 2,800 fans. We're approaching 3,000 fans in Dothan in a matter of three months from a very small start. So uh, then uh, on Saturday night after Dothan ran was New Brockton. uh, And it was, uh, you know, it's it's the eighth event for New Brockton. And, uh, that town had the 1300 in it that night, uh, on just the uh, eighth event. So if I looked at the total attendance, which I want to do here for the entire Southeastern Gulf coast week, uh, it was 10,300 fans. Uh, and that's compared to 7,000 fans three weeks earlier. So, uh, we had, uh, we had 3,300 fans, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we, and if you add that southeastern Knoxville twenty thousand plus week from that territory, mm-hmm. uh, we drew more than thirty thousand fans in one week for the first time ever. Southeastern did as a company. Wow! They it. Wow! And yeah. uh, that sounds big, Dave. But that record is going to be shattered many times in the
0: future. <laughs> All right. So it sounds like things were beginning to finally take off for Southeastern in both territories. So is it time for us to discuss the catastrophe caused by the controversial TV show on WKRG-TV Saturday, May 20th of 78?
1: Well, they I kind of put this in off as long as I can, I guess, today. You know, uh, we just talked about some big numbers for the company. Obviously, we were doing well, but... Uh, mm-hmm. So let's talk about the catastrophe, man. talk about the good. I guess we'll take a little bit of the bad
0: here. Here we go. Okay.
1: So, um, you know, and I want to start this off by, let's go back to the last guest and the personality profile on the last show, which was with Charlie Platt, Gordon Solis, and the guest was Charlie Cook. Uh, David Schultz and Charlie Cook were in their third week of an extended program between the two of them. And between the two of them, they decided to add a little something extra to this profile that they hadn't discussed with me or any of the commentators. So David Schultz interrupted the Charlie Cook profile with a watermelon. He made some controversial comments to Charlie. And then he broke the melon over his head. Uh, Well, obviously, it got tremendous heat, man. It jumped the crowd in Dothan by close to 20% alone. Uh, (laughs) You know, I mean, uh, you know, but but bottom line, it, it shouldn't have ever been done. It should have never happened. Hmm. And, you know, and, and I'm the only one uh, that could have changed it. But but I made the critical, critical mistake of of deciding not to remove it from the TV show. And I, mostly I did that because I'd never removed anything from any of my TV shows before. Right. I'd been in business for four years as an owner of wrestling companies. And uh, I, I just wasn't uh, it do. I just never uh, considered doing something like that. Mm. And uh, and I really didn't uh, take into full consideration either uh, how this might come back to haunt me, man.
0: Mm.
1: But it did.
0: And so, Ron, <laughs> uh, but but it was n- your never your idea. It was it was Charlie and Schultz combined. They put this whole thing together. Yes, I mean, they're was, the ones
1: that had this idea to add the little watermelon deal. To
0: right, it. right, and uh, you know, uh,
1: <laughs> and it, it just—it it wasn't a good idea. Not in the way it was done, certainly for sure.
0: It sort of reminds so, me of the sledgehammer deal. And, yeah. the, and the concrete block. There you go. And, uh, yeah, the that wasn't your girl, idea. The bond
1: and the Yeah.
0: Duke. yeah
1: so, so the old sledgehammer. Was, and I should have known. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of the sledgehammer, I'm going to get killed by a watermelon. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you know. Uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, so you know, Southeastern and Gulf Coast in 1978, we basically had three stations that were airing shows each week, and uh, and this same controversial show uh, had already aired in the Dothan market. And uh, then it's going to go out to the other two stations in the next two weeks. And only one of that out of those three stations had a problem with it, but that was one too many. So a couple of weeks ago, I remember explaining how TV shows were moved from one station to the next by a system called bicycling the tapes. And uh, that, that was basically just sending out these huge tapes with the shows on recorded on them uh, from one city to another. Now, this particular TV tape contained this controversial personality profile. It had been sent from Dothan, Alabama to Mobile, Alabama the week after it was produced. And it aired on the Saturday uh, of the week that we're talking about here. It aired on Saturday, May the 20th, 1978 in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, There had been no complaints about the TV show in the Dothan market the week before, not that I was ever made aware of but and two weeks later there was no complaints about it in montgomery when it aired in montgomery but the mobile alabama market the largest and most important market of southeastern gulf coast uh, had several complaints so i mean as i mentioned uh, mm-hmm. back when we were discussing this process each tape always had a sp- promoted a specific event and the That was going to be held sometime within the next seven days after the show. (laughs) And uh, in the case of this particular tape, that event was going to be held in Mobile's Expo Hall on Tuesday night, May 23rd, three days after it showed on TV.
2: Mm.
1: So on Monday morning, the day before the Mobile matches, and two days after the show aired on the TV, I got a call from CP Persons, the general manager of WKRG TV. Mm. Now, CP was the same general manager at that station 24 years earlier in 1954 when my father walked in the door and convinced him to take a chance and put on this Gulf Coast wrestling TV show on his station. So Mr. Persons started out the conversation with me on the phone by complimenting me on the quality of the TV show. And the way he, uh, as I remember, put it as compared to the last wrestling company's product, it was substantially better. He's maybe the best wrestling show that ever been produced. Wow. So I got all excited about the good news, man. You know, and this came from the most important man at the station. Hmm. He called me personally to say something nice about what we were doing. I was like, "Wow, Uh this is cool, man. (laughs) (laughs) So... uh, so then he he went on with the conversation and by golly, he jerked the rug out from underneath me, man. He, uh-uh. says, uh, he, he informed me that uh, they'd had several complaints about what had happened uh, in the middle of the show. He didn't have to tell me what he was talking about, you know, and about one incident in the show in particular, uh, you know, and he told me, uh, Right up front, he says, "As much as I dislike it, Ron, you know, uh, having to do this." He goes, uh, "I'm going to have, I'm, you're not, I'm, I'm going to have to tell you that we're not going to be able to air your show anymore."
0: Whoa! <laughs> so he was—he was that quick and that blunt about it.
1: <laughs> yes, he was, man. I'm sad to say he certainly was. I mean. And I got the feeling he didn't want to say it, but, yeah, uh, you yeah. know, it, it it needed to be said. So uh, <laughs> talk about a phone call killing your day, man. You yeah. know, uh, we, yeah. we were going to lose the biggest station in the biggest market in the territory. <laughs> and, you know, and that market included Mobile and Pensacola, the two major cities between Panama City, Florida, and New Orleans, Louisiana.
0: <laughs> Easy. So we're, yeah. Yeah. We're gone. Yeah.
1: So, bam. Yeah overnight and 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 maybe the territory as well
0: yeah well that was really nice of him to build you up like that though and uh, tell you how good things were and then all of a sudden you're done so uh, so what'd you do ron
2: <laughs>
1: well after i got up off the floor man i walked around in shock for a whole day and i, I felt head all down feeling sorry for myself and my partner you know they certainly didn't have anything to do with it so uh... I didn't tell anybody about it. The phone call that day, you know, Mm. and the next day was the show at Expo Hall Arena, the actual show, the one that had been plugged by that TV. And it was only second live event in Mobile. So uh, on the first event, I'd been arrested. And on the second one, it appeared I was out of business. (laughs) (laughs) And to add to that depression I was in, uh, I had this major billboard buy. Ready to start in the entire territories eight days later,
2: man.
0: Uh, (laughs) Oh, there's that. Yeah. (laughs) All right. I'd forgotten about that, Stud. So uh, was that another big expenditure? I mean, was that blown for nothing?
1: (laughs) Well, it certainly appeared so, Dave. Oh, boy. uh, Holy cow. Yeah. All
0: right. So not that it was going to make any difference, I guess. But what was the crowd like in Mobile that night? And was was the buzz starting about this? Was it was the buzz only? Was it kind of a private buzz between you and the TV station? Or, w- w- was there a buzz?
1: Well, you know, you, you never as a wrestler got to, to be around the crowd. I never went out in the crowd, especially right. when you're a heel. You don't go hang out with the crowd, right? Uh, right. So you really don't get the feel of what's going on with people out there in the building. But I can tell you the week before on the first show where I got arrested, the crowd was the largest opening night yet for Southeastern Gulf Coast. We had mm. 1700 fans. We opened up uh, with Andre and Dothan with 1500. Yeah. We opened up there with 1700 in Mobile. And on this night, uh, following that controversial TV, that crowd jumped 30% to 2300 fans. So wow. there was something that got their attention and something they liked or, or, you know, they wouldn't have been there. Yeah. So, yeah. and, and, and by the fact of what had happened with that crowd, it kind of verified what my father had told me when I bought the territory, he told me that mobile was a magical wrestling city. And, uh, and he ought to know, because in 1958, On the same TV station that we're getting kicked off of, we're about to lose, (laughs) he drew 40,000 people in Ladd Memorial Football Stadium.
0: Yeah, and I remember you telling that story. That's been a, a bunch of studcast bags. So, all right, so, Ron, we all know what a success Southeastern Gulf Coast wrestling turned out to be. You must have fixed it somehow. So what did you do to save Southeastern Gulf Coast? There's some of the story missing here.
1: Oh, man. Well, uh, you know, I guess, uh, you know, I've always been a pretty uh, disciplined person and, uh, and uh, I don't give up easily. So, you know, and I didn't want to give up on my dream of having two successful territories, especially after the big jump in Mobile the second week and uh, more than 10,000 fans drawn for that week for the first time. I, I just it just made me more determined than to ever to get back on that TV station. So, uh uh, you know, I just uh, I bit the bullet and and I called Mr. Persons and and I begged for an opportunity to sit down with it mm. face to face mm-hmm. and see if there was any way I could make up for the mistake that I made. I was just very honest and to the point. Mm. You know, mm. can I have a few minutes uh, to at least apologize? I guess.
0: Right. So I, I and I can understand that. So it didn't end with the phone calls. But what made you think there was any way? something might change his mind what so so what happened
1: well the only reason i thought there would might even be any chance for it uh, was uh, for southeastern gulf coast with the fact i knew mr persons and my father uh still had a very close relationship and for many years after my dad sold Gulf Coast Wrestling to the Fields Brothers and left that area, Mr. Persons had helped my father get on TV stations in the state of Tennessee, in Arizona when we went there in the early 60s, in the state of Georgia when we went there in the mid-60s. As my dad moved around to these different territories and caught them on fire, he depended on Mr. Persons to speak with the GMs of a lot of TV stations for it. Uh, he had basically highly recommended my father's TV shows and the success that followed him around mm-hmm. long after he left mobile. Mm-hmm. So we sat down alone in Mr. Persons in his office and we had a conversation that kind of resembled what a father and his son would have had in a way, you know, uh, and he recalled that my father was about the same age as I was then, which I was 30 years old <laughs> and, uh, he said, your dad. Uh, in 1954, son sat down across the table with me here, and he, he's about the same age you are. Wow! Wow! <laughs> you know, And, wow. uh, and he's, and then he said, "You know, you remind me a lot of your father. <laughs> yeah. You look a lot like your dad." And then he told me that uh, he was about that age himself, 1954, and he was the first and the only general manager of WKRG TV station since the first day it went on air.
0: That that ice breaking right there, everything he said had to make you had to make you feel like almost part of the family because your dad was 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 there.
1: It 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 really gave me hope, right? So wow, uh, wow. So, so then he went on and he gave my dad a lot of credit for his success. He said because wrestling was the highest rated show on the air there for many of the station's early years. And he he said uh, his choosing, my father's wrestling show, had established right away his good decision-making ability, Uh, in spite of the fact that in those early years, many of his staff at the station there Mm -hmm. criticized him for giving wrestling a shot. (laughs) But basically, he said, you know, your dad helped me. Your dad made me a success here. Wrestling was the biggest thing on my television station for the first years that we were on. Right? Yeah. So... Then we got down to talking about the incident on the TV show from the weekend before, and uh, how complaints. He explained how complaints like the ones he was getting uh, were could have a dramatically bad effect on his station, on his employees, and on his own future. You know, and uh, Gaston, uh, you know, I I I just I really I really just level with him. I, you know, I I said I know it. I'm the person responsible for it. I had opportunity to remove it from the show and I didn't do it. I made the wrong decision, mm. you know, and I told him, hey, you quite up front. I said, you know, if, if, I, if I had another chance, I'd guarantee that nothing like that would ever happen to you again. Mm. And uh, and when I did, I kind of thought I saw a little flicker of hope in his face. So uh, so then he brought up how my father was a was a smart businessman. And how back in the early 50s, my dad was using all kinds of advertising everywhere to build his business. And how that advertising also helped build his television station's business. Because when dad's business got bigger, hmm. his station got bigger, <laughs> right? Which made sense. You put 40,000 people in a football stadium, you got a lot of people watching that television show, right? Yeah. So, so that statement. And the advertising buy that i just made opened the door for me man to get back in i thought maybe there is a future here for southeastern gulf coast so i explained to him the huge billboard buy that i'd made a month earlier that was supposed to begin in eight days and cover the entire gulf coast how each tv station involved with southeastern gulf coast was going to receive the benefits of that advertising because the tv stations the day of the week of the show and the time of the show was going to dominate the content of the billboards. Right. Mm -hmm. And that little (laughs) flicker of hope in his face turned into a big smile. Wow.
0: And,
2: uh,
1: and it got even bigger when I told him that you're going to get a hundred boards in this market alone.
0: Wow. (laughs) I mean, you don't miss a thing, Ron, dude. Wow.
1: So, So it was kind of do or die, Dave, you know, Long story short, he told me, you know, he not wanted to end our relationship over something he felt would never happen again, that he was pressured by others in the station and was looking for something uh, to help him sway them. Uh, you know, he he needed he didn't want to do it, but he he didn't have any reason that he could say, well, we ain't going to do it. You know, and, he, and then he said, I've always had a fond place in my heart for wrestling. You know, and he mm-hmm. goes, Ron, mm-hmm. what you just told me, <laughs> about these billboards and and I know and I know everybody in this station will realize it is going to help this company because uh
0: mm-hmm.
2: I
1: think maybe we've got a little a little movement here.
0: Wow. So,
1: wow. So you know and <laughs> so uh wow I'd like to yeah you know, almost uh, gosh I, I got I had a bigger grin on my face than he did, I can tell you that, you know. So uh wow. So then you know he he's he, say, he finally says, you know, Ron, he goes, uh, I think we're going to put you back on the air because uh, I can't do it uh, overnight because yeah. he says that uh, it's not the way I want to handle this with all the people in the station. Mm-hmm. But he goes, I'm going to put you on the next three weeks back on. Three weeks. So, uh, wow. So I went out of there, man. Uh, uh, southeastern Gulf Coast is still alive. And wow. we continue to run mobile. Uh, without any TV during those those weeks. And oddly enough, uh, that market was such a good market that even without TV, the crowds never dropped below 2,000 fans. Wow. With no TV.
0: Okay, so th- this is crazy. Pardon the expression, but it, of course, it does sound like you dodged a bullet here, Stud. But see, one of the things as you were talking about this, I thought maybe the heat was not internal, but the heat was internal. It had nothing to do with the fans complaining, maybe. So everything that the heat that that he was facing was coming from in the building. Yeah,
1: I think that's a lot of it. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. And then you would assume that you know the t- the the complaints came from outside the right. studio yeah. and outside the station, but. uh You know, and a lot of people didn't really like wrestling. There were a lot of people in television stations across the country that didn't like the product.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: And wow, the product made television in the 50s when wrestling first came on TV. It made television popular. Uh, So, uh, you know, the... And then I went to the billboard company and I said, look guys, uh, we're, we're not going to be on the TV station in mobile for the next three weeks. I talked to the billboard company and taking those hundred billboards and backing them off three weeks and extended them another three weeks beyond the ending time. For wow. Yeah. In that market. Wow. So, uh, so he I kind of did by dodge a bullet.
2: <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. It, uh, yeah.
1: You know, and, uh, and, and, then speaking of the bullet, you know, uh, uh, Bob Armstrong and uh, my partners. Uh, wow, you can imagine how happy when they were when I told them this story. Uh-huh. Said, so, "Guys, we lost our biggest TV, and I was able to go back and save it."
2: You know, yeah.
1: and yeah. Uh, so uh, I had a long conversation, obviously, too, with David Schultz and Charlie Cook <laughs> about what you can't do and say on TV. I bet you did. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and, and I think Charlie Cook got it. Yeah, yeah. But about ten years later, David Schultz went far beyond what we talked about that day.
0: You don't. And he say. slapped
1: John Stossel on <laughs> national TV for calling <laughs> Rustin fake. Uh, uh, <laughs> so Dave, uh, Dave was a little different dude, and uh, you know it didn't stick so good with David. You wow. know, but uh, well, I didn't blame Dave after watching that myself. <laughs> <laughs> I would have slapped him too.
0: All right, so no wonder fans love these studcasts. That is That really is a remarkable story. You never know what to expect here, Stud. That's awesome. All right, so I'm glad to announce, I think we have time today, Stud, for the Learning Tree question from last week. And it was Randall Albertini from Ottawa, Canada, and he asked, after you were arrested in Mobile, Alabama in the riot, what were you charged with and were you convicted?
1: Well, great question, Mr. Albertini. And and I guess I need to finish that story about the riot. You know, obviously uh, that's why you're asking it. So, uh, so the courtroom appearance, man, that day was a very bad experience for me. Uh, Is the only time I was ever in a courtroom accused of something myself. You know, I've been there to testify for other things, but this time I'm the I'm the culprit here. You know, and and the riot that, that night was a really bad one, you know, and, uh, but to my knowledge, uh, right after the riot, no one had gotten hurt. I wasn't aware anybody had gotten hurt. And uh, so when I went to court, uh, Eddie Mansfield wanted to ride with me from Pensacola to Mobile, is about 50 miles. And uh, we went into the courtroom together. Me is my height and my size. And him with that bushy, long, dyed blonde hair that most heels had in that day and time and sat down amongst all the other people. And uh, needless to say, man, while we're sitting there and waiting our turn, everybody in the courtroom was looking at us. (laughs) What are these two dudes here for? (laughs) So uh, I didn't have an attorney. You know, and then when I was called to the front with the judge, uh, and everyone in the building went silent. mean there was a little chatter during other people, but I think they wanted to find what is this all about. So so uh, I, I asked the judge right off, what what are the charges against me? And the judge said uh, inciting a riot. And he asked me how I pleaded. Well, I was a little shocked, man, that I wasn't expecting that charge, you <laughs> know. So, you know, either way, I I was going to plead not guilty. But uh, so, you know, I did. I said, I'm not guilty. uh, So he asked me to explain why I wasn't guilty. So I told him my story, basically, uh, about being a third generation professional wrestler and and how dangerous sometimes it was being a wrestler, you know. And sometimes uh, I told him, you you know, you're liked by the fence and sometimes you are hated." Depends on how you're wrestling and what your style is. And uh, that I wasn't presently one of the wrestlers that fans like. And when I beat the other guy <laughs> that they did like, they decided to get me on the way to the dressing room. <laughs> Make it short and blunt and, and the truthful, right? And, you know, and then I told him, you know, that I would never intentionally try to incite or start a riot, you know. and uh, And I told him, you know, Riots happen a lot of times. And, you know, I didn't know whether you've been to many wrestling matches or whatever, but uh, you know, he told him it's never been my intention to start one. That's for darn sure. And uh, you know, and I said they're always extremely dangerous to be involved in, for not just the wrestlers but the fans as well. Mm-hmm. And it was the last thing a wrestler wanted was to have a riot. So uh, and, you know, and that after this riot got started. It, I told him I was pummeled and hit by many fans on my way to the dressing room. And I said, but I never touched anybody. I didn't hit anybody back. I just went to the dressing room (laughs) to get to where I needed, where safety was. Right. right? (laughs) So then he asked me, he said, was anybody hurt? You know, and I told him, not to my knowledge. I didn't know if anybody had been hurt at that point. And he asked his if in any way I had resisted arrest by the police. And I hmm. told him no, which was honest, you know.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh, and in fact, a policeman was there uh, that had been there that night in the crew. Right. And uh, and uh, the judge asked him, the judge must have known he, he had something to do with it because he asked him, he said, do uh, you know anything about this? And the policeman stepped forward. And, uh, and he, he confirmed what I told the judge. He said, no, he in no way resisted arrest. He went along just fine. Didn't have any problem. Got bailed out. So uh, after a brief uh, private discussion between the officer and the judge, mm-hmm. they got together. And the judge banged his gavel and declared me not guilty. Wow. So this was just the first of some nasty moments to come in southeastern Gulf Coast concerning riots. I wow. can tell you that. This ain't the end of it. It's kind of just the beginning. And and I'm going to get hurt pretty bad in one of them. And and some fans are also going to get hurt over the next three months in that territory. But uh, such was the professional wrestling back in those days. That's what it was all about.
0: Wow. First of all, I can't believe you were arrested. And then the funny thing is you're you're explaining the concept of a heel to the judge. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's he grasped it too. Yeah. Yeah, he I figured he picked up on that pretty easy, especially as you explained how you were pummeled on your way of trying to get out of the way. So anyway, wow, that's another great one, stud. Absolutely a fun time. Okay, folks on Facebook, become friends with Ron. You can only do it by going to his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud Facebook page. Like him and follow him there, and you automatically become friends with a legend on Twitter. Follow him at Ron Fuller Welch. The website, visit the stud on his tremendous website, tnstud.com. You'll find great videos, a photo gallery, every stud cast ever done, 43 Super Studcaster there too. Shop the stud store for all kinds of souvenirs, personally autographed photos, the classic Continental Video 5 pack, his Tennessee stud mask. And his thrilling lion novel, Brutus. And any of that you want autographed, that can be worked in the deal too. Southeastern Rewind on YouTube is still full of great shows and information about the streaming channel. Find it all now at Classic. Find it all. I mean, literally, find it all at ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. Ron's fantastic streaming channel. It's all there and it always will be. Two superstars of the past series, Abraham Lincoln and Martin Farmer Burns. Now 36 continental TV shows, 23 USA TV shows, 32 stud stories, four stars of the sport with Andre the Giant, Mankind Mick Foley, legendary Ron Wright, and Bob the Bullet Armstrong. Three documentaries with Wildcat Wendell Cooley, world premiere of Tony Anthony's Dirty White Boy, plus a tremendous two-hour special of Mongolian Stomper matches and two Brutus readings. Well over 100 hours of old-school wrestling entertainment now, and it's only the beginning. Subscribe now at ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. Only $4.99 per month or $39.99 per year. It is fast becoming the best old-school streaming site on the planet. Don't miss this special offer right now for a limited time. Get a free one-week trial on ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. Man, Stud, I don't see how you keep up with it. That's a lot. So where do we ride next week, Ryan?
1: Where well, we're in it, man, the summer of 1978, which is going to be by far and the biggest summer in Southeastern history. Uh, wow, we're going to blow records away that uh, I never dreamed we'd see. We're going to be visiting both those territories next week again, like this week. We're going to be getting the big cards in both. We're talking about the TVs in both, the results and the attendances in both. And we're going to be also talking about a great number of new stars, man, that are coming in the summer of 1978 to both territories. And we'll also have another Learning Tree question and much more. Uh, So I want to thank everybody today for joining us. As always, and please tell your friends about us. Take care of yourselves and others, and may God bless us all.
0: For Ron Fuller and the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production. For Tennessee Stud, LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.